We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I want to ask you a question to get started. What are you devoted to? And when I ask that question, you know, I want to know, you know, what takes up the majority of your time? What uses the majority of your energy? Is it, is it your work life? Is it your family life? Is it, you know, striving to be more healthy, to feel better and to, to live longer? Or maybe it's something else you can fill in the blank. Or maybe you're just one of those people that is just trying to figure out everything on their own. You're doing the best you can with what you got to try to make it. And you're just committed to that. I'm just going to try to make it through another day. You know, what we spend the majority of our time on, what we give the most of our energy to, points to what we're devoted to. And it's that devotion that motivates us. And it's that motivation that helps us determine our focus. And ultimately, it's the focus that we have that gives us our final destination. If we were participating in shooting or in in archery, what would matter? Is it the big board that you hopefully hit? Is it the the outer sides of the target? No, it's the the center. It's the the bullseye that we we focus on hitting the center. And so this morning in the time that we have, I want us to, to zero in, to focus our aim on what really matters. That the focus, the direction, the devotion of our life would be on an immovable center. In fact, Scripture tells us He's the center of all things. And that Jesus and Jesus alone would be the bullseye of our lives. I want to kind of give you an opportunity to start wrapping your minds around a thought that everything's going to be built around. And that's devotion to Christ impacts the life of the church and the community around it. We're going to look at devotion in the life of the early church, those first Christians that that joined together there in Jerusalem and how they were loyal and committed. They were focused on Jesus so much that he was a part of every aspect of their lives, that they committed themselves to the teaching of the word. They committed themselves to, to fellowship. They committed themselves to breaking bread and to the prayers that they were committed to the word of Jesus. They were committed to being one in Jesus. They remembered what Jesus had done and they were communicating with Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 42, starts this way. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day... Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. You see, we've been looking at we are the church, kind of a back to basics approach to who are we and and what are we about. And today we're going to look at that we are a devoted people. Let me remind you that devotion to Christ, it's going to impact life inside the church and it's going to impact the community around it. Now, let me give you just a brief overview. I know you all studied Acts in Sunday school recently, but Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, Jesus tells his followers to wait. 
Because there's going to come the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. The group of about 120 prays and they decide they they need to replace Judas and they choose Matthias. And then the 120 are waiting and praying. The Holy Spirit comes on them at Pentecost. Everyone there is hearing in their own language. Peter preaches this amazing sermon. And at the climax of the sermon, Acts 2.36, he says, Let all of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now the word Luke records tells us that they were cut to the heart and they cry out, What should we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke records that the number that was saved was about 3,000. And so the church grows from 120 to 3,120, and then we come to verse 42, the first description of what this group of believers, really a large church, was about. These followers of Jesus, these new converts, having been filled with the Spirit, were enjoying not just a momentary euphoria, not just this brief bit of enthusiasm or this temporary excitement, but they were enjoying a life-changing commitment, a devotion to Christ, signifying by the seal of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to look at devotion to Christ this morning and see how it affects us and then eventually how it affects the community around us. But what were these folks devoted to? The first thing I want to point out is that our devotion to Christ is to Christ and his word. I love the hymn that says, I owe no other master. His heart shall be my home. My life I give henceforth to live for Christ." And be alone. What does it mean to be devoted? It means to be characterized by loyalty and dedication. It's commitment to a cause. It's commitment to an enterprise, an activity. It's all-encompassing focus. And like it or not, everyone is devoted to someone or something. But the key is what you're devoted to. Because devotion placed in the right spot is very powerful. Devotion placed in the wrong place can be very destructive. And so we're going to talk about this morning devotion with a very narrow focus. Devotion to the right person, Jesus, and the right things. Things that draw us closer to Jesus. What what does Luke tell us that they were devoted to? He says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship... To the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. Now, many of us have made a choice to devote them, ourselves to something, and we realize that it requires those words like commitment, persistence, patience, and even endurance. But we're going to talk this morning about a devotion to Christ that requires much more than that. In fact, it requires supernatural help and involvement. Why? Because you and I can be devoted or committed to something for a while in our own strength. But in the end, what happens? It doesn't last. Why? Because it's not in our human ability to maintain it. Just to give you an example, in 2012, when we were starting to to raise funds for the adoption, we began to get ready for 
the chosen marathon. Several people participated and I decided, I made a decision that I was going to walk 13.2 miles. So I found a plan online. I trained for it. I prepared. I walked and walked and walked and walked further than I really ever thought I could walk. And then on the day of the race, I walked and I, and I finished. Now, if you fast forward six years to 2018 and you ask me the question, do I walk regularly? No. I walk because I have to. I walk to get from here to there, but I don't walk regularly. Why? Because relying on self-motivation is not sustainable. Why? Because we are lazy. We lose focus and we eventually give up and we eventually quit. And we can only remain devoted to Christ in the power of the Spirit. Some of you were brought up probably in an era when all that was taught was you have to live by these rules. If you follow these rules, you know, Jesus wants you to be good. Jesus wants you to be nice. Jesus doesn't want you to drink or smoke or play cards or dominoes. And he wants you to bring your Bible, to read it daily, and to check off all of those boxes. And a lot of you were raised up in the church like that and you thought that's what it means to be devoted. To be committed to following a list of rules. The problem is that's not sustainable. Nobody can do that. The only way that we can be devoted to Christ is because God has given us the helper, the teacher, the guide, the Holy Spirit that comes in us, that gives us the resurrection and power of Jesus living on us, that allows us to follow him, to serve him, to worship him, and to remain connected to him. To help us to keep the center of our lives focused on Jesus. Now, the good news is there's practical things we can do in our life that point toward being devoted to Christ. And that's what Luke is getting at here. Because when we're devoted to Christ, we devote ourselves to the things of Christ. And this early church was devoted to these things. What were they devoted to? The apostles teaching the word of Jesus. They didn't have written scriptures at this time. They had some scrolls, they had the Old Testament scrolls, but all of the New Testament teaching, all the sayings of Jesus were were verbal. These apostles were, in a lot of ways, the the living New Testament, the living gospel record of what Jesus did. And as they repeated and taught those things, and as they went back and said, okay, this is what the Old Testament says, and this Old Testament is pointing to Jesus in the New Testament. It's a beautiful picture when you look at Jesus teaching those two disciples on the road to Emmaus where he walks them through the scriptures do you remember that and he shows them how all of those things point back to Jesus I'm sure that's what the apostles did was taking the time to show them this is what Jesus said this is what he taught and this is how it connects with the old testament now we remember Jesus words in the great commission right go and make disciples of all nations and then what does he say teaching them to observe all that I have commanded and so these men are gathered together, they're making disciples, they're, they're creating lifelong learners, followers of Jesus. And how are they doing it? They're teaching and they're modeling how to live. And so this phrase, apostles teaching, really is just the words of Jesus, the story about his death, burial, and resurrection, what that means, and then connecting that with the Old Testament, showing them that it's all one grand story that God is painting for his people, that this good news, this gospel message is for everyone and it's for evangelism for telling people how to come to jesus it's for edification in our church showing us how to live like jesus it's a story of how jesus saves us sanctifies us equips us and then empowers us for his service and then hopefully we allow him to kick us out the door and start to do the things that he wants us to do 
And so there was the apostles teaching, but there was also fellowship. So it was not just the words of Jesus, but they were enjoying this oneness in Jesus. One person described it as spirit-inspired togetherness. The word here is the word koinonia, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. So we'll hold that for a moment. But I want us to just think about what Jesus prayed for and asked for in John chapter 17. Do you remember? You can sum it up with the one phrase, that they may be one even as we are one. That Jesus prayed for a unity of God's people, of his followers, like, the, like he enjoyed in the Trinity between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you read in Ephesians 4, you see that that Spirit brings about unity. And so God's people are united together because they are ultimately united with Christ first. And so we'll look at that again in a minute. So they were enjoying oneness in Jesus, but they were also breaking bread together. They were remembering the work of Jesus. Now, depending on where you read, whether it's in your study Bible or a commentary, there's a lot of questions about what this breaking bread means. Some people say it could be just an ordinary meal. Some people know it says it has to be the Lord's Supper. Or some people kind of meet in the middle and say, well, it's probably both. But obviously we know that it was a time of intimate fellowship and a time that they set apart to remember. Now, if you take it and connect it with what it says in verse 46, it says they break breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. You begin to see that this is something that they're doing regularly in each other's homes. So I tend to take the middle of the road and think it probably refers to both that they're spending time together in each other's homes around food. And during that, they took the time to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made by taking the bread and taking the cup. And the shorthand for that became breaking bread. And so they remembered what Jesus had done, but they also took time to communicate with Jesus. They took time to pray. It says the prayers or prayer in your scripture. They prayed both publicly and they prayed privately. They prayed together, everybody, corporately. They prayed in smaller groups, home groups, and they prayed individually, just one-on-one with God. But they communicated with Jesus. There was this communication link between them and Jesus. Jesus spoke to them and they responded and listened and they talked back. And we have to understand that if we're going to carry out the work of Jesus under his guidance and in his strength, We have to talk to Jesus. The vitality of the church was a measure of the reality of their prayers, one person wrote. So the question is, if we were to measure the vitality of our own lives and the vitality of our church simply by prayer, how would we rate? Where would you put yourself on the scale? Now we know that these apostles, these early church members were devoted to, Committed to Christ. They were focused. They were sold out. They were living in difficult situations. A lot of us look at the book of Acts and we think this is like church in a perfect environment. You know, it's like the the biodome for church. Well, no, actually it wasn't. They are still undergoing immense persecution from both Romans and from Jews. They were outcasts. They were they were marginalized in many ways. They had no authority. They had no political power. They had no voice. They had no lobbyists in the Roman government. All they had was Jesus and each other. And they talked to Jesus. They fellowshiped with one another. And God worked through them. They focused on Christ. You hear this phrase. Maybe you've seen it. You know, there's a trend these days to have hyphenated words. And you may see something like Christ-centered. What does that mean? 
That means that Jesus is the focus of everything we do. He's at the very center and we don't do anything unless he says, yes, you do it. And we don't do anything unless we step out in his power and his authority. And so because these men, these women are devoted to Jesus, they in turn were devoted to one another. They were devoted to Christ, and because of that, they could be devoted to the people of Christ. So the second thing I want you to see is that our devotion will deepen our fellowship. That as you and I grow closer to Jesus, we grow closer to one another. It's inevitable. If you look in verses 44 through 46, just describing how these people were together, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they, plural, were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You can't read the book of Acts and escape the truth that God's people were joined together. Listen to the phrases, they're together, they had things in common. They shared what they had and they shared their lives together. And so the principle is this, if you're closer to Jesus, you're going to be closer to one another. That word koinonia, I told you we would look at it a little bit later. Well, here we are. It's interesting to note that this is the first time that this word is used in the New Testament. After Pentecost, all of a sudden there becomes this fellowship that is available because God's people are united by his spirit. And they enjoy fellowship, they enjoy cooperation, they enjoy communion together because they have something in common. Do you have friends like that? Well, this is my friend because we have something in common. Maybe we went to high school together or maybe we work together. Well, God's people have something much more powerful in common. We have something in common because we have a common spirit that is alive with us. And so after Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit And in the spirit, Christians have unity. One other person described it this way, that they have faith-connected hearts. See, this word is much more deep than a potluck meal, casual conversation, or good times, and laughter. It's a deep commitment that literally means to share oneself with another. Reminds me of Jesus' words when he says, you know, greater love is no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus was 100% committed to us and his spirit in us allows us to be committed to one another. One of the great men of the early 20th century who wrote with a powerful prophetic voice was A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer, talking about unity in the church, gives us the image of a hundred pianos all tuned by the same tuning fork. And he says the unity that they enjoy, the ability that they have to play together in harmony is not because they are tuned to one another, but they're tuned to another standard to which each one must individually obey. He says, so the same thing is in the church that we are together, not because we are tuned to one another, but we are tuned to Christ. And as our hearts grow nearer to him, we grow nearer to one another. We begin to experience a unity that people cannot explain. The fellowship grows deeper because we're tuned to the heart of God. 
And so God's people are made to be together. It's what He created us for. And it means not just getting together in the same room, that's important, but it means that we share the same mind and the same heart. I encourage you this afternoon, if you have opportunity, just to sit down and read Ephesians chapter 4. The first six verses in particular will, will point you to what it means to have this unity in the Spirit. It means when two or three or four gather together, there's unity. When families gather together in Christ, men gather together, women gather together, children gather together. When all of us gather together with faith-connected hearts, there is unity, there is fellowship, there is sharing of life. And when God begins to work that in individuals, when God begins to work that in a people... He begins to transform them. His love begins to flow out. His spirit begins to work. And people around will begin to take notice. See, when the church begins, when Christians begin to live a life that is sold out for Jesus, people will take notice. The third thing I want you to see is that our devotion will influence our community. If we become people that are regularly in God's word, Spending time in prayer, if we're filled with His Spirit and meeting together, it will transform us in a way that we would never begin to imagine. That the Spirit of Jesus would be so recognizable and alive in us that people would notice. In Acts 11, verse 21, describing this church, these people that are following Jesus, it has this phrase, it says, The hand of the Lord was with them takes you back to the old testament to think about god's presence god promising his people that if you will listen to my word if you will obey my voice and walk in my ways then i will be with you my hand will be with you it's a promise of his presence it's a promise of his power and we see if you read through the record of acts god's power working through his people why not because they were amazing people but because God was working through them. We go back to our verses for today, Acts 2.43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, there's a lot of inclusive language in Acts. And when it says here, And awe came upon every soul, we're not just talking about the 3,120 that were gathered together. We're talking about the people that were in earshot, the people that could see these families gathering together in neighborhoods. They could see them gathering together for prayer at Solomon's colonnade. They could see God doing mighty works. And it says, awe or wonder came upon them. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That there was this reverent honor and respect for what God was doing. And that God was working and doing miraculous things through his people to point to who they were have you ever noticed that when you decide to live a different life people notice i think our our great example for that if you want to look at a new testament example is john the baptist i think john decided to live a different life to be set apart for god's ways and so what did he do he dressed differently he talked differently he acted differently why not because he was nuts but because god's spirit was on him and I think as God's people, you know, we, we need to look different. People need to see evidence that, that we are different people. There's not a need to go in secretly under camouflage and try to fit into the community. There's a need for us to be 
a distinct set-apart people of God so that he can display his power through us. Now, we don't have to be perfect because we're not. We don't have to say everything just right, just the same way. We just have to be ordinary, available people that God uses. And people will notice the difference. In verse 47, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. Favor with all the people. Now, it doesn't mean that they were free from opposition because the opposition was great. But people noticed that God was working in them. They were displaying his love, the way that they lived and the power of God that was showing in their lives was so evident that people noticed. And I would say to you today that the world around us needs to see the supernatural power of Jesus lived out in the practical places of our lives. Just everyday people, men and women, that people can recognize have been with Jesus. Treasures, God's treasure in jars of clay, people that are just faithfully obedient, willingly led by the Spirit. If you read a little forward, far, further on in Acts chapter 3, you remember Peter and John, they, they heal this, this lame man, you know. I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I have, I give it to you in the name of Jesus, you know, stand up and walk. Acts chapter 4, the religious leaders call him in for questioning. And during the questioning, it says in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, common men. But what stood out was they had been with Jesus. So God still uses ordinary people, you and me, to do ordinary, extraordinary things dependent upon our faith in him and our obedience to what he said. And so another question that I wrote down, as much for myself as for you, is there enough Jesus in me that people notice the difference? Is there enough Jesus in you that people notice the difference? Because let me tell you, if you've been with Jesus, people will notice because I've been with Jesus people and I can tell people that have been with Jesus. And I wonder sometimes, do other people see Jesus in me? So we see that our devotion brings our fellowship closer. It draws our attention, draws attention to the community around us. But finally, the last thing, number four, our devotion will trust God to bring growth. The end of this section in this last part of verse 47 There's this sentence and it says, the Lord added to their number day by day or daily those who were being saved. So this group of believers, these followers were were Christ centered. They were gospel focused. They were spirit led. They were faith filled. They were enabled with God's grace. People were taking notice. People are coming to Christ because God was working in them and through them. Let me reread that sentence for us. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This group of 3,120 was growing daily because of God's sovereign work, because of his supernatural transformation. God was growing the church. 
It was only a work God could do. It was supernatural. But it was one person after another. It was exponential. And it was day after day. It was continual. Now, does that not excite you because it excites me? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to see God doing in this day what he did back then? That day by day, those were added to the number that were being saved. It's happening in places of the world. And sometimes I think, why can't it happen in Burleson, Texas? And then I remember, it's because of me. And it's because of you. It's because of us. But I long with the depths of my heart to be a part of that. To be partnering with God on the greatest rescue mission of all time. To see men and women come into Jesus. And I'll guarantee you... That when God brings a church to life, when God builds an excitement that's not based on music, it's not based on whipping up support, it's not based on condemnation, but it's based on the work of His Spirit, that we become motivated and devoted to Christ, His Word, His people, and His mission, that God will do His work. Because He is always faithful when we are obedient. I said at the beginning, devotion to Christ impacts the life of the church and the community around it. I'd be amiss to not leave us with some practical steps. What can we do? With apologies to Olivia Newton-John and to Greece, the first thing I have here is we have to identify what we are hopelessly devoted to. And we have to let it go. What's holding you back is another way to say it. What do you need to let go of right now? And we're not going to wait until we're singing some music. We're going to do it now. Ask God right now, or ask yourself honestly, God, what is holding me back? What do I need to let go of? And then do it. Right there where you are, just talk to God. It doesn't matter if your head's bowed or your eyes closed. Nobody's going to be looking around and everybody's going to be dealing with their own mess anyway, so we don't have to worry about it. But let's get it settled. Lay it down. Let it go. Confess it to God. Offer it up to Him and say, God, I'm turning this over to You. I'm turning from it and I'm running to You. What are you hopelessly devoted to? The second part of this is the refreshing part. When we cast aside those things and we confess them to God, then we receive his forgiveness. And so we we get rid of what we are hopelessly devoted to and we profess or we renew our devotion to Christ. It's getting to the point where we can say, Jesus, it's you. It's only you. You're my Lord, I'm your servant, and I commit myself to you. I may not be much, but God, I'm yours, and we trust him. Amy Carmichael, a young girl who devoted her life to the Lord Jesus, and said, God, whatever you have for me, I'll do. Listen to what she wrote. What is the secret to great living? And then she answers her question. Entire separation to Christ and devotion to him. Thus speaks every man and woman whose life has made more than a passing flicker in the spiritual realm. It is the life 
that has no time for trifling that counts. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to trifle. We don't have time to play around. We don't have time to amuse ourselves. We don't have time to entertain one another or others. It's time to say, I'm going to take up my cross daily because we're prone to put it down if we get an opportunity and follow you. So we let go of the past. We cling to Christ. We take up his cross. And then we practice things that build our devotion to him. If you haven't done this in a while, I would encourage you to revisit your testimony, your salvation experience. Look back at what God did and worked in your life. Think very seriously about who you were before God intervened. Think about the beauty of that moment, the freedom of that moment when God did intervene, and the great joy you experienced. Take time to revisit and reflect about what Jesus did for you on the cross and is still doing in your life. That he is working to lead you safely home. So revisit the gospel in your own life. Regularly turn to God's word. Read it, study it, apply it. Take your Bible and listen to God as he speaks. Fellowship. Spend meaningful time with God's people. And then take time to pray. Reverence in response to God, who he is, listening to his voice, giving God time to speak, responding to what he says back. See, conversation, prayer is two ways. It's God speaking to us and that's us speaking back to God. It's not one-sided. Taking time based on what he reveals to you about who he is through his word and by his spirit to bring your requests. And moving beyond superficial requests of God, just bless everybody. God, just help everybody to be sick and let's get rid of this flu. But God, mold me, make me, transform me and the people around me to be more like Jesus. Bring the scales off the eyes, break the hard-heartedness in the hearts of my friends and of my people and lead them to you. And then readiness. Just saying, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? I'm stepping out and doing it. Because you know what? I believe that my faith and in the power of the Spirit, cross timber, can be a place of impact. Where your life and my life, as we're transformed a little bit each day to be more like Jesus, will have an effect on the world around us and on each other. That our fellowship will become deeper. Our community will begin to see what God looks like through us, through our witnessing and through our part, being part of the things that are going on. A place of impact. God changing us and using us to change the world around us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we come before you and realize wholeheartedly that professing devotion to you is not something to be taken lightly. Say in your word, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? But we want to be devoted to you in obedience. God, these practical steps are in no way perfect in their organization. 
God, help us to see what we're hopelessly devoted to, what's holding us back, and just lay it down and to let it go and to confess it to you. Turn from it, run to you. God, that we would say we are yours and yours alone. That we would stop wasting time. That we would take up our cross daily and follow you. And that we would practice the things, the disciplines in our life that help us to remain devoted to you. God, we know we can't do this in our own strength. So God, we don't want to walk out of here without your hand upon us, guiding us and leading us in this area. Jesus, we love you. Help us to devote ourselves to you. We pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.